This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Gentlemen, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount, overlooking the Western Wall. I started saying the Western Wall now, starting today. Because someone commented that most people don't even know what the Temple Mount is. So. And the only reason I said Temple Mount was I was just trying to pick bones with, with the, you know, the, the state of Israel's narrative. Mm-hmm. The state of Israel's narrative is like Temple Mount's there, Western Wall's ours, let's not make trouble. Mm-hmm. And I like to make trouble. <coughs> I think trouble's important to be made. I have a, uh, an antisocial personality, <laughs> which is, uh, is uh, antisocial uh, personality is misunderstood. Maybe a better way of saying it is a sociopath. A sociopath wants to knock out social constructs, especially if they're not real. And so I, I'm born to break up social constructs, and, which is very interesting being as observant as I am, which means if you look like me, you're probably part of a community with a major social construct that's not based on anything real other than, you know, we all wear the same outfit, I guess. So... So I, I'm also, if you hear my classes, you'll hear me constantly poking at the system of the black hatitude community. I'm born to do that, that's it. But there's two types of sociopaths. There's sociopaths that belong in jail because they're violent. And then there's the loving sociopath. Which is like the whole hippie movement, for example. was It's really sociopathic because they're, they're trying to break up social norms. That, you know, for example, the war machine is a social norm. It's a social norm, everyone. What's up with it? Everyone pays taxes that goes to the military complex. And, you know, the way the world stands right now, social norm is, is uh, you know, military force. I don't believe in military force. Okay, here we go. Um, today's class is how do you take what you got? From this time in Israel, anytime you have a spiritual moment, how do you take it with you? How do you take that with you? Because I think for this group, it's your last class in, in Israel. And, and so what do we do with it? How do we take it with us? And and this is a natural, the, the, fear, of like, the fear of what am I going to do now that I've got this? Or, well, that's not the right way of saying it. You ever been to a concert or something, or been in a relationship, and <coughs> had a moment where you were, you kind of like, I, I have a couple of my, my staff coming in once in a while, just because they're my media staff, and I think they figured out that I'm on live when I'm supposed to be out of, out of town, so they're like, they may file in one at a time, but we don't have our full equipment, because no one knows, no one really knew I would be here. Um, the... You're at a concert. You should be enjoying the concert, except you get this voice in your head saying, oh man, this is going to end. I wish this could go on forever, but it's going to end. You could be on a vacation enjoying it, and you're like, oh man, I can't believe i got to go. You could be in any situation where it's like, you're, you're really into it, and you wish it would last, but it's going to end, and you know it's going to end. And, and it, I bet you a lot of you already felt you were leaving before today. You know what I'm talking about? Which is really lame. Like, what day, what day are you leaving? 
Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Do you know people are flying in today and leaving tomorrow? Right now, there are at least five people of the thousands of Mingor, and there's probably at least five that flew in for the day. Just because they, they got to get a day in Israel. So you're that person. Enjoy it. Don't leave till you leave. Till that plane's left the land. Imagine you just arrived and really experience it while, while you got it. You, know, you don't want to lose that. But we often wind up our heads wind up in places we're going instead of where we are. Now, how do you hold on, how do you hold on to things? So there's a couple of ways to do that. One of those ways is to commit to some physical act that is a that will stand as a, a concretization, like a, you make concrete your experience here. So. I don't know what experiences you've had here, but if you were to take on some small act, maybe ideally something that you do daily, that would be a marker for your clarity now. Because the chance of you being a lot less clear when you get to back where you're from Germany? Yeah. All over Germany? Yeah. The chance of you losing your clarity over there is high. So a daily marker that marks the clarity. I don't know what that might be for you. I highly suggest you don't choose something that's going to freak out everyone you know. <laughs> so, so like, choose something that's discreet, that, that not, everyone, uh, not everyone notices that, that you're doing. One of those things might be uh, to say Shema with concentration uh, when you're alone to say Shema with concentration or something like that. Or it may be, I don't know, I mean, you'll choose your own thing, but, but something that locks it in for you. Now, the next thing is, if it's real, so then what? So, for example, if, are you guys all, like, are you, would you say there's a, there's a God is there any, are you guys on that kind of place like there's a God? Yeah. Okay, so if there's a God, then then that's all there is. So everything else is an illusion if there's really a God. If there's a God, then this is automatically a digital simulation. Because we know enough physics to know it's a simulation. And enough physics that this could be just a simulation because everything really is just moving atoms and if it's moving that means it's got a vibrational frequency well if it's got a frequency so it's likely a simulation that's going on around you um, meaning all matter is made of well it's made mostly of space but but it's also got a frequency that it moves to those those atoms so everything has a frequency to it but also once you have God in the picture, so you have God from this side, physics, um, quantum physics from that side, automatically you're going to have that this world's a simulation. Do you know how it works from the God's perspective? From God's side, why it's a simulation? Do you know how that works? The way that works is, you see, the Gentile version of who God is, is that we're real and, there's, and they believe there's a God. But you can't have God and creation simultaneously exist. Someone's got to be making something up. Either God exists and he's making us up, we're the simulation, 
or, or you know, what many atheists believe is we exist and we're making God up. One of us, you can't have them both empirically exist. Let me explain why again and see if you still have your question. You see, if there's truly a God that's beyond space and time, that means that space and time would include God. Because if God is beyond space and time, so then you can't exclude God from space and time either. Because a being that's unlimited by space and time, meaning if, for example, this circle is finite, meaning that's the expanding universe, so everything inside here is finite, and God's beyond finite, is outside space and time. So, so if it's if God's truly beyond space and time, so that means, he, meaning if, he, if he's truly unlimited, so then he would be also unlimited from space and time. So he'd also fill space and time. Okay, so God would be both beyond and filling space and time. Another way of another way of looking at this is that, <coughs> is that <coughs> if before there was a world, there was only God. So what did God use to create the world? If all there was was God, what did God use to create the world? Himself. All there was was God. So what did God use to create the world? Well, he created the world out of himself. There is, There was nothing else but God. So since all there was was God, so it must be the world was created from God. Now can God create something he's not? Can God create something that he's not? I would say yes. How? He's almighty. <laughs> right, he's almighty. It's like <laughs> so because God is all-encompassing, he's not just almighty, he's omnipresent. Yeah? He's omniscient, which means he sees everything. <coughs> he's omnipresent in all things, in all time, in all and he's all powerful which is the almighty so so what he could do is he's almighty in that he could create a world that looks separate that much God could do God could make a world that looks separate to God yeah well but why is this a contradiction even if everything around us is God including ourselves are in some way God Uh, that still does not mean that he could not let uh, give us the ability to act by ourselves not uh, especially under the condition if we do not are you heading towards free will right now yeah ah we weren't just we didn't even bring up that subject I don't mind bringing it up but from the this is I teach everything from a Kabbalistic perspective And from a Kabbalist perspective, you have full free will, but it's an illusion. Yes. So, if at the end of the day your free will is just something you imagine yourself, nevertheless you feel like you chose, so that's what matters. And that's what you'll be judged for. Yeah. Yeah. In the illusion. It's not a big... I mean, it really is. On a practical level, it doesn't make a difference. Meaning you have free will, you have free will. Whether you... If you go Kabbalistically, that God created an illusion of free will. You know, if I cre- if I created a, a maze, you, and you have to get through it, or you're going to starve. You know, the, the food's on the other side, and I created that maze. 
so that doesn't make it less of a maze. It's still amazing though I made it. And I, let's say I made it digitally, and I, and I could switch it at any time. Or, you know, I can change walls whenever I choose to. So really all your choices I'm creating. But in the end, you're the one in there. You're the one inside the maze making your choices. Now, uh, I'm going to bring this circle back again. And, and I know you can't see it very well, but the, well, I'll put a circle here. Put the circle back. The name of God that represents outside space and time is what we call, that's what we call Hashem. It's the yud and the hay and the vav and the hay. And the name of God that fills the circle is called Elohim. Okay? That's why we have that's why yeah, sorry. That's why we have two separate names for God. Because you have God outside space and time, and you also have God filling space and time. So there's outside and then there's filling space and time. And the name of God that represents the filling of space and time is Elohim. And the name that represents outside space and time is Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey. <laughs> He's so cute. He just will not stop. So, so the um, these are the sweetest guys ever. You still need my contacts. What are we gonna do? You're not even listening. Are you listening to the white? Anyway, you can close the door. My name for them together? It is not in Hebrew. Hebrew is very specific with the names. Now, look, every name in Hebrew is, is a verb. Okay, everything's a verb. So this, for example, is a causative. This is a causative name. It's causing creation into existence. And this is a receiving. This is a feminine name, even though it's Yud and Mem at the end. This is the receiving of, of creation. It's, a, it's in the feminine. Okay? What is the first? Causative. <laughs> That's causative. And the... Stuff. <laughs> it's funny they're doing this because I'm, I'm like not in a very dynamic space right now. I should have had a cup of coffee or something. I just did a, I just did an all night meditation the night before. So I, I slept. Sun, I woke up Sunday morning. Next time I went to sleep was was Monday night. But I slept. I mean, I woke up and packed the car, got the kids in, and then got everyone out to come teach this class. I said, but I'm in kind of a space place, right? Um, now, uh, these are all verbs. So, <laughs> believe it or not, all I'm trying to get to you is two major things. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. We're getting there a little slowly. <laughs> There's a third name that I'd like to share with you, and that's the name Shin. I'm putting the spaces so I can erase it. Otherwise, you're not allowed to erase these names. So, Shin, Dalit, and Yud. What's the word Dai mean in Hebrew? 
means enough. Stop or enough. It's enough. Like if someone's pouring you a glass, you can say die. That's enough. Okay? And what's the prefix she? It could be if it means that. it's enough. And you know what this does? This is what creates order in creation. Meaning this is the expansive causative, which is chaos. Right? When things expand, when you when you shoot things into a system of chaos, there's entropy. And the shin and the down yudis should die. That it's enough is what causes order. Meaning if if shin, dalit, and yud got taken out of this class right now, if this name was removed from just this class, we'd all go into a blender. We, this whole room would get blended together. Our whole solar system would fly off the fly off its its <coughs> axis right now. So the shin all the names of God are verbs in in our names of God. We don't have a name of God that's a noun, even though we use it in the sentence as a noun. But they're actually not really nouns. There's no name of God that's a noun, and the um, and what's cool about that is that a being that has no space or time connected to it, it's completely unknowable. It's really essentially nothing. That kind of being, it just doesn't have a name. Because what name would you give a being that's nothing? You, there's no name for it. God has no name. Well, it's, well, that's why I love the English name God. God's a cool name because, first of all, it's English means nothing also, because all English words mean nothing. I mean, like, for example, water or vasar, does that mean something? It means nothing, but symbolically for us, we'll think of H2O when we hear that name. You understand, it doesn't, the word water or vasar does not mean water. It, it's, it is a symbol that causes our brains to think about H2O when we hear it. Hebrew is different. Hebrew is the actual, like, uh, it is the, the thing itself. That's why you'll notice there's two hydrogens. Mem is hydrogen. <laughs> and one oxygen. It's, it's literally made of water. I mean, the word itself is the thing itself. Or the sun is a burning ball of hydrogen, which is the Shemesh. But there's no Hebrew name of God. They, they're, they're all just verbs that explain... How the interaction is going with with how God's interacting with creation. Now, let's get back up here. So you have two names of God going on at all times. You have the um, name of God that's beyond space and time, causing space and time, and that's again the name of chaos, expansion. And then you have the name Elohim, which is how God fills space and time. And the reason it's in the plural with the yud and mem at the end, the reason it's in the plural is because the space and time has a lot of stuff in it. You know, there's a lot of molecules in here. There's a lot of cups, a lot of people, a lot of fabrics you know, in this room. Is that clear? There's a, there's a lot of detail in the creation. That's why we have a plural name of how God fills creation. And now you understand, I mean, it, did any of you, probably none of you ever thought for a second, did any of you ever think for a second why we have two names of God every time we make a blessing? Probably not. I didn't either. I, mean, I grew up 
Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melechana. You know, we just thought that's a blessing, but there's two totally separate names of God there, which is strange. And we call them four things, by the way. Atah is you, Hashem, surrounding space and time. Elokeinu, filling space and time. And we call him a king. By the way, of all those four, which one do you think is the holiest? You, Hashem, Elokeinu, and Melech. Which one do you think is the holiest? What does Melech mean? Melech means king. king. The king, Hashem, yeah. I would say <coughs> Melech because uh, it <coughs> connects everything. So right, he's the one running it all. Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. Melech's super special. Especially the word Haolam. What's the word Olam mean? World. World. What else does it mean? What does it mean when we say Lo Olam Lo Me'al Maya? Lo Olam. Ani Ohev Otcha Lo Olam. I love you, Lo Olam. What's it mean? Infinite. It means infinite or forever. It really means forever. So it means world. It means forever. And there's another word it means. You know what else it means? I'll use it in a sentence. Nelamli et ha etchili. Nelamli. Olam. Nelam. Hidden. Hidden. So, isn't that interesting? The word for world is the same word for hidden. It's pretty interesting. Why? Because can God create a world without. Can God create a world that He's not? No. But what He can do is hide Himself inside the world. So now, the king is hidden. Melech HaOlam means the eternal king. It means the king of the world. And it also means the hidden king. Which is really cool. Because, because can you do anything that God wouldn't let you do? No. Can you, I mean, really, can you do anything that, he's a king. He can't, there's nothing you can wouldn't let you do. And, you, and you, there's nothing you can't do that... Meaning, meaning, God's running the show. There's nothing you can do that He doesn't let you do. Yet, He pulls out, so to speak, and lets you choose and do. That's interesting. Because you can't make a move without Him. Yet, you, yet, every move you make is like it's without Him. Yeah, the, no, it's not the answer. <laughs> The answer, he answered Melech. So the Kabbalists tell us, I'll take a question in a sec. The Kabbalists tell us that the holiest of all the words is Atah. You know why? Atah doesn't mean anything. It's just the essence. You know, like for example, what's your name? Eliyahu. I wouldn't say, you know, would Eliyahu like a cup of water? I would say, would you like a cup of water? But where does that use begin and end? What is that you? Think about it. What's different between Eliyahu and, 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 and Ma- Basha? Masha. Masha. What's different between Eliyahu and, and Masha? And really, what's the difference? I mean, in an MRI, they would show up differently. Their names are clearly different on their passports. <laughs> but neither, she's not a Masha and he's not an Eliyahu. You know? That's not what's going to show up on an MRI, that's for sure. And the, your names are not going to be in there. And, and the... Um, So, so all that's left is really your essence, which is the word you. We speak to each other's essence. Like whenever we say the word you, we're really talking about the essence 
of the person. And so God has an unknowable essence. There's a great Kabbalist in Jerusalem, someone who slept, he did not sleep for over 50 years at one point. He never, hit a, he never slept in a bed. I mean, people have seen him pass out standing. He wouldn't let him sleep in a chair, but standing, he wouldn't mind dozing off a little bit. I asked him a question once, and he dozed off. Standing. I asked him a question, he just went. And just stood there asleep, right in front of me. And then he, like after about 30 seconds, he went. And he answered the question. Hmm. So, anyway, this great rabbi, Amshanova Rabbi, I forget his, his real name, but he's the, Has- he's the Hasidic um, master of the group called Amshanov. Anyway, when he <coughs> says Atah, you know what he does when he says Atah? He, he says it over and over again sometimes. Sometimes he says it once, but sometimes he says it multiple times. You know why? Because while he said it, his brain <coughs> thought of some concept of God, which is not Atah. Atah's essence, not concept. The concept of someone is not their essence. It's a concept of someone. And so, if his mind goes somewhere for who God might be, when he says the word Atah, he'll repeat it again. No, he knows we don't know the essence, but he wants to stay with the, in that don't know space. And, uh, because it's hard for us to really... It's hard for us to relate to things that have no no ability and especially to call out to it like saying Baruch Atah where you are addressing it how can your mind not go somewhere so if his mind goes somewhere he tries again he's really fun to watch on YouTube he just will not believe what you'll see there of him making blessings because they they managed to video him at various times like under the chuppah of his grandchild and stuff it's it's quite interesting. He hits other words a lot too. Like, Is he married? What? Is he married? He's married, yeah. He has like 12 kids. Yeah. Didn't say he doesn't use a bed. I just said he doesn't sleep in one. <laughs> I couldn't hold back. Now, um, Listen, there's, so, so, a couple questions. I realize, I mean, you still have your question or we're still giggling over my last yeah, joke? Um, just you, you, you and then we'll come to you. You, you said that Hashem is hiding himself. Yeah. You, you mean like in the story of Purim and Queen Esther? Exactly. Yeah. That's the holiness of Purim. And that's why we drink that much alcohol. You know why we drink so much alcohol and pour them? The reason we drink that much alcohol is because you've been using your common sense, meaning your brain, to navigate. And you have to drink enough that it's no, your brain's not a good indicator of reality. So that you leave reality. Because the reality is really just a mask. It's a, a poor mask. The, the whole reality is just a mask. Everything happening to us is a cover-up of the king, the hidden king. By the way, what's the one name missing in the whole Purim story? <coughs> what's the missing name? God. God's name never shows up. How can you have a book in the Tanakh without God's name? 
Except how does it show up in there? How does it show up in the Purim story? With the word Melech, which says Melech a lot. But if it doesn't say Achashverosh, if it just says the Melech, who's it talking about? So my God was, was causing things to happen. In, your, in the narrative of the story, it's Achashverosh. But, it, but, there, but Esther, when she wrote the Megillah, was hinted at, hinting what God was up to whenever it says the word Melech. Melech is the hiddenness of God, a hiding God. Uh, you had a question? Yeah, What's your name? Uh, Gabi. Gabi, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's uh, not so important, but I don't understand the concept of the compartments. Uh, uh, outer and in? Yeah. Or the name part? Or both? Both uh, how I compartmentalized here, or that there's separate names? The whole thing. But I mean, I understood what you're saying, but I just haven't figured out what's, what's um, sense of my, I mean. What's practical difference? No. The concept no. behind this. Like, why are there like four different names? There's many, many more names. There's like lots of names. What? Because it's how God, all the names. I'll say it again. I remember I said earlier all names of God are verbs. So all those names of God are how God relates to us. I have many names too. I've I've uh, to some people they call me Yomi. Some call me Yom Tov. Some call me Rabbi. Some call me Sweetheart. Uh, one person. No, you know my mom might call me Sweetheart. It's my wife and my. There's a lot of names and a lot of interactions I'm having. So God's also interacting with creation. He's interacting with creation in a sometimes in a very uh, uh, rough, exacting justice way, and sometimes He's being super, um, super. Uh, what's the right word? Um, gentle, I guess. Kind of turning away from what's going on on Earth so that. He doesn't have to get rough with us. You know, God prefers not to be rough. Yeah. Um, what about which is a very, very So that, that name just means master. It's more like saying almighty. Um, the, uh, we don't say the word, by the way, unless we're... It's okay. But uh, I, what we say when we're talking is Adna. Shame Adna. So Adna means my master. And we use that term for whenever we see this one. We're not allowed to say this one, and uh, and so we look at these letters while we say the word Adna, which means master. So it means master, and it, it means like it it's the running the show basically. The word Adna means the one who's running the show, and we say it when we look at this, which is by the way, it doesn't make a ton of sense that we say that that we look at this while we say that name. Because this name is, is a wild name, and it's, it's so much more than master. You know, if you look at that, I'll teach you a little secret about Kabbalah. You have a baseline, right? Like every sentence has, words have a baseline at the bottom. And then you have the upper. So, so the upper represents spiritual, <coughs> and the lower represents the physical. look at God's name, you'll see that you have, you have the Yun, right? What, what kind of letter is that? Spiritual or physical? Totally 
spiritual. And what it represents is an idea, pure idea. What? Spiritual. Yeah, and so I, for example, I'm a total Yud. I'm a Yud personality. There's actually people with a personality for every letter of God's name. So I'm a Yud personality. Thank you. And I have an amazing, amazing uh, consultant from Brazil. He actually lives in Australia. He's a hay personality. And uh, every letter, by the way, begins with Yud. See that Yud at the top? Every, it starts with the yod, and then there's the hay. <laughs> hay represents dimension. So, like, God can say, hey, I want to create, you know, but in that point of the yod, yod's like a point, is every possible thing to create. I mean, you could create a lot of things. This world's one option. I mean, there could be other planets out there in other galaxies with totally different setups. Maybe more gravity, maybe less gravity, maybe you can see God more. <coughs> Here, you, can s- you can't really see God. But there could be a world where you could see God even less. Or maybe you could see God more. Adam and Eve saw God more before he changed the settings. So, what's that? What's about the letter Lamed? It's even higher than you. Yeah, Lamed's a very interesting letter. Lamed is, think about it, it's coming from even above. And what does that mean? That Lamed is the word Lomed, to learn. And it's, what does it mean when you learn something? It's not part of you yet. It's not part of you. When someone's teaching you something, it's not yours yet. It's not even near you either. And what happens is in Lamed, you learn something that's even above it. Now, we want to hear something really cool about Lamed is, uh, I'll make it here, is that the Lamed really, you know, let's say it starts up there. It's really coming right to here, which is what a Vav is. A Lamed's really just a Vav. Here, you got your Yud, right? But then you got the Vav. Okay, that's a vav, and the lamed's the same because it's going to wind up here. Except what a good teacher will such a way that you yourself make this circuitous, circuitous journey of developing your own knowledge base. Meaning, a real good teacher is going to give you info in such a way that it's not a force-fed thing, but a thing that gets integrated while you're busy working it out. Like, those are great teachers. They give you the chance to work something out. And, and that's true learning. I mean, yeah, that's a masterful teacher who's going to be able to do that. And they'd need a semester with you. And it's not like my class, I'm with you one hour. It's like, I, I just got to give you the info. And so I'm kind of, I'm taking ideas and I'm putting them down to the earth. I'm bringing them down to earth. But your learning process, just like um, uh, Gabi, Gabi, for example, I said stuff. He's like, I, I, can you repeat it or can you say it in a different way or something? Because he's in a learning process right now. And, and all of you are going to wind up back in wherever you're from in Germany. And at that point, you're going to have to integrate. And that's learning. That's going to be your true learning. Because all the stuff you got here that you think you learned only really means something you know, on a practical level if you integrate. I mean, everything has to... In life, things have to integrate. I know today's generation thinks they don't have to integrate anything, but, but that's not true. It means nothing if you don't integrate it. It's just information. It is mental masturbation. <laughs> you understand? It doesn't mean anything. <coughs> it has no practical difference if you don't integrate it. 
That's how important integration is. But that's also the scary thing about learning is, you know, like, I mean, check out our exit sign, everybody. Look at our exit sign up there. <laughs> it's like, not helpful. And you know why we have, you know why we have these Hebrew exit signs that most of our students couldn't read if they wanted to? <coughs> is because there is no exit for information. There is no exit. There's stuff we've probably all seen that we wished exited, but it doesn't exit. And so, and so we want to integrate. We want to integrate what's going on in our lives so that it made a difference. And also the scary thing when you get back to Germany is to lose stuff you think you integrated. will be literally like someone took a bite out of you, like an apple missing a chunk. But to lose something you integrated is a painful situation. Uh, you don't want to lose stuff you integrated. Well, I guess that means you didn't integrate it, really. If it's, but hey, we could lose anything. You know, we're such victims of environment. You know, our environments are so powerful. I always tell people that, every, I tell my students here that everyone has a certain amount of time they should study in Jerusalem. Like, uh, let's say, for example, um, what's your name? Let's say Fagy's. If I got to know Fagy a bit, I'd say, Fagy, three months in Israel, you'll be fully integrated. I could come back to Germany two years from now, you'll still be totally integrated with what you learned. And then I meet Alex, and I say, Alex, anything less than five months in Israel, you're going you're, you're gonna to lose it in weeks <coughs> when you get back to Germany. Everyone has an amount of time where something integrates, but you need the environment to integrate it. And, and, and there are, by the way, there are micro-environments in Germany. I don't know who's near your house, but like, there are little micro-environments, maybe a family that keeps Shabbos nearby and you can, like, you can go be at their meals. You know, and, or maybe your parents do Shabbos, but not really Shabbos. So it's like you could be there at the beginning, and then and then when everyone you know is kind of dispersing, you can head over to that house nearby that's that is doing Shabbos. And then the likelihood of texting before you go to bed is very low because you've been with that family, and now you're tired and you've had a couple shots of vodka or something, and and so maybe I'll just go to bed. And, and, and you made it all the way to Shabbos morning. You know. Twelve. It's twelve. Thank you. So. Let's just finish God's name. So the Yud is pure idea. The He is dimension of idea. Because the Yud is like the whole creation in one dot, in one point, which is very big, big bangy. And, uh, and uh, you ever heard that adjective, big bangy? So it's very big bangy. And, and then, but then, but literally inside that dot is the DNA of all potential. Right? Everything's in there, and that's the He. Which is where it, where things get implemented anyway. So so it's uh, yeah, it's got this dimension that it's not really drawing to here. It's drawing to here, which is not the right spot. It's kind of over, and then this brings then that's like, well, right. It's just it's just our symbol for dimension. I've asked my Rebbe. I didn't get I didn't get an answer that <laughs> he gave an answer. I don't think I understood it. But hey represents dimension always. We want to see how. Check this out. 
Vav is an implementer. These guys are Vav personalities. My my uh, staff are Vav personalities, and that. But he's got a bit of a hate personality. He's on the phones. Yeah, which is what's that? The final hey. <coughs> the final hey is the dimension. Like, have you ever been to an Apple store? Who are those overly friendly people? <coughs> those are final hey people. What is the what is the manufacturing and shipping going on in China for Apple? That's the in, those are the implementers. Who are the? This is the. Brainstorming people for next September. This September, this is the R and D people who figure: Can we do that? Maybe we want to wait on that. Is it going to turn a profit? You know, what's the competition? I Meaning, there's just the ideas. So, like Mike. So, this is me. This is my guy from Brazil. Um, this is a whole team of people. A production manager named Mike with a real six pack. On this, <laughs> it's like a bodybuilder there. Our production manager, and then we got the guys doing production. He's mostly <laughs> our implementer, Yosa. And then the final hey guy is. I do a lot of final hey work, obviously, because I'm the one showing up on the screen. But, but uh, he's <coughs> he's on the phones, speaking <coughs> to people and stuff. And uh, and uh, but you realize God's name is in every single product. It's in everything that ever happens. That's why, by the way, there's a long-winded version of why it's a funny name to call the master. I mean, you see the mastery, but it's a strange name to call the master because there's so much going on there in that name. You ever thought about God's name like that? It's pretty cool, right? Yes, he is all those steps, which is wild. He's the surrounding and he's the filling. He's the tortilla, and he's the rice and beans. Okay. Now, what I'd like to finish with is this word, and this word is the shin and the dalit and the yud. Where does that word show up commonly in Jewish daily life? Yeah, excellent. On the mezuzah, every mezuzah has a sh- the parchment inside the the actual, you know, the actual parchment has that printed on the back of the parchment. Shin Dalit and Yud, and many door, many boxes that we put the parchment in have the Shin and Dalit and Yud. Why? Why in the door? And so the answer is: is your home represents order. In life, home is order. Outside your home is a world of chaos. Hopefully, with some order. Germany, way more order than any other country in the world. But like, I mean, you guys like you in Switzerland are probably maybe Scandinavia are like super ordered compared to the rest of the world. But it's not as ordered as your home, hopefully. <laughs> it's important your home's in order. And like, I make my bed in the morning just to like start my day with some order. Like There's some semblance of order that I started my day with. Because the day can get chaotic, but at least it started with some order. And the, uh, so when you leave your house, and when you leave Israel, touch a mezuzah when you leave your house. Say, I'm leaving the order of my house. My house is a Jewish house. This house has certain things that the streets of Germany don't have. You know, the streets of Germany does not have what my house has. And I'm now, or I'm leaving Israel, and even my house in Germany doesn't have what the houses in Israel has. And this is the, the name of order. And, and you want to implement the order 
and assert the order that you've learned in Israel onto your life in Germany. And if you can't do it, so then, thank God you're only in Europe, you just fly back here and, and study Judaism in the environment where it's easier because we're so influenced that you can just study in, the, in this environment. It's a f- very easy airplane flight. And it's like like one hour difference or two hour difference. It's a one hour difference. It's like a, a no brainer. If if I were you guys, I would be here once a month probably. Yeah, I fly two to three times a month, or some months I fly three times. Some months, how much I fly? Ryanair, twenty five euro. So it's a mistake to think you don't live in Israel if you live in Germany. I mean, you could really live here. And spend half your half your time there and half your time here. If you if you have a week off, if you had a week off, why would you not just come and study for the week and have a great Shabbos? It was like twenty seven euro. No, here you just take the first van to Svat or to Jerusalem, and you just hang out. You on the street. People will take you in like that. Like you'll be. That's what we did when we got here. We just right here go to spot. He's going tomorrow. You have plans? No plans. You need no plans. You let God. Once you're in Israel, you let God run your itinerary. Where you're staying, where you're eating, what's going to be. It's Jewish people. Like we don't have a homeless problem. We have no unemployment. You know, we're one of the only countries with zero unemployment because we consider begging a. An employment. <laughs> just kidding. That was it, a, just kidding. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going. Shalom, everybody. It was a pleasure. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.